0: I would say one of the most moving stories in the New Testament is about a group of desperate characters who approach Jesus for healing. It's in Luke 17. Uh, these men were desperate because of what they had in common. Uh, they were all lepers. Luke 17, starting at verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Let me take a minute to describe leprosy so that we have context for this story. Uh, When a person found out they had leprosy, it was like a death sentence. I mean, patches of sores would grow on their body and spread to their face so they would become eventually literally unrecognizable. The sores would eventually open and a foul stench would take over the person's body. Uh, Eventually, their vocal cords would ulcerate, the voice would become hoarse, uh, breathing would become very difficult. And then there would be a loss of sensation. They They wouldn't be able to feel pain, which is one of the most dangerous parts of leprosy. Eventually, leprosy would lead to a loss of mental health and the person would end up in a coma and finally die. I mean, if you were a leper, you couldn't go near people who weren't lepers. One source from the first century wrote that lepers had to stay 50 yards away from people who didn't have leprosy. If a leper went into a house, it was declared unclean. If you were touched by someone with leprosy, you were you were considered to be defiled. Imagine never being touched again never feeling the hug of a little child, never having a friend reach out for your hand, never having a parent put their arm around your shoulder, never knowing the embrace of a spouse. Leprosy was not just about physical loss, there was a moral stigma attached to leprosy in Jesus' day. When other diseases were cured, they were said to be healed. Leprosy had to be cleansed. Lepers weren't just considered sick, they were considered unclean and defiled. Imagine you're one of these 10 men with leprosy and imagine you're in the final stages of the disease. Let's live with this for a moment. You've been to the best hospitals and consulted the finest specialist. You know the diagnosis and already are in great pain. Your body is emaciated and disfigured. Uh, There is no hope and you're going to die. And then something happens. One day the pain is gone. Your body is whole. You go to a doctor daring to, not daring to hope, but the doctor tells you that the disease is gone. The nightmare is over and you're going to live. That's what happens in this story. These 10 lepers saw Jesus. And of course, they couldn't get near him. And so they cry out to him. And the text says, when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. If a leper was cleansed, he had to be declared clean by a priest before resuming a normal life. This is an interesting part of the story. Jesus doesn't heal them first. Before they were healed, He said, go to the priests as if you've already been healed. This was a test of faith. Would they obey even though they still had leprosy at that moment? Would they trust him? Well, they did. And they obeyed. And as they were walking, something happened. Like where their faces had been blotched and disfigured, now their skin was smooth. Where they had you know, mutilated stumps. Now they had hands and feet and fingers and toes and the nightmare was suddenly over and hope had been returned. They were going to live. Now they could run and shout and hug their kids and live in their homes. I mean, think about tomorrow and do all the things that people usually take for granted. This was their moment to know every one of those things was a gift Beyond calculation. Luke wrote this story and said, one of the 10 saw he was healed and turned back. What was, what must that moment have been like? I mean, maybe the other nine asked him, like, where are you going? He said, I've got to go back. I mean, he we must return to Jesus to tell him thanks. We We have our lives back. I wonder what the other nine said. I would love to interview those nine guys and ask why they didn't return and give thanks to Jesus after they were cleansed of this horrible disease. What do you think they would say? I think one of them would say, well, I went to show myself to the priest. That's what he told me to do. Legalists aren't usually very grateful people. Another would say, well, I went to show myself to my family. You know, I mean, my family comes first in my life and they've been through a lot. Another might say, Of course i'm grateful but i didn't know he expected me to go back and express thanks i mean he does this kind of thing for a living doesn't he or maybe we'd hear someone say well i got better but i really think it's a coincidence you know i've been taking these herbs that are supposed to cure leprosy i think it's a coincidence my cure happened just after he said that and i'm sure one of them said well i'm glad i'm healed but to be honest I'm not sure it's to my advantage. I mean, before I had to just sit and beg, now I've gotta go and get a job. I'm sure another would say, I'm glad to be cured of leprosy, but I'm not really pleased with the way I look. I mean, I've had leprosy for 10 years now, and I look 10 years older. I know he cured me, but couldn't he have made me look younger too? You know, people with a victim's mentality aren't very grateful. And another would say, oh, I'm glad to be cured of leprosy, but..." how can I be grateful? I mean, it'd be difficult for me to clap and rejoice when there are so many other lepers and they haven't been cleansed yet. How could you be happy and thankful when there's so much suffering in the world? Another would say, well, I intended to go back and give thanks. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I mean, we've been so busy since he, we've been cured. You know, there've been all the news interviews. We just have a lot going on. And I'm sure one timid soul would say, you know, I'm a little afraid to go back. I hear this Jesus is very demanding. He might require one of us to give up everything to follow him like he did someone else. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. Only one in 10 returned. But isn't that about the, the average you would expect? Isn't that what you like, would expect? Isn't that the same like percentage you would see today? If you're a school teacher i wonder how many of your students come back after they're gone and through college and have gotten established in life and say hey i just wanted to thank you for all that you've meant to my life one in ten probably not that many or how about parents like how many of you in the morning are with your kids and they you know tell you at breakfast, mom, my shirts are all folded and my socks are in my drawer. I just want to thank you again for doing the laundry. <laughs> One in 10? I mean, you'd have a heart attack if they did that so often. William Barclay wrote, so often, once a man gets what he wants, he never comes back. It's a strange thing about human beings that we can we can want and pray for something so desperately and then receive it and then take it for granted. Why is that? Why is it that we have to admit we're not very grateful people? What contributes to ingratitude? You know, we live in one of the most affluent cities in one of the most affluent nations in the history of the world. We are so blessed and yet we can find ourselves still grumbling and complaining and not very grateful. What's the explanation? One explanation is we've had a privileged upbringing. Many of us were spoiled rotten as children. Our parents gave us almost everything we wanted and we were so protected and so pampered that we have unrealistic expectations about life. We think all of life is supposed to be free of pain and disappointment. And anytime life is less than 100% ideal, we focus on the negative and we miss the positive. You go to eat at an expensive, really nice, fine dining restaurant, and all you do is complain about the service. Or you get a great seat at a ball game, and all you do is complain because the guy in front of you has a big head. Why is it every, everything can be so incredible, but we focus on the one thing that's not quite what we wanted? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And if you don't have uh, realistic expectations about life, if you wait until everything about your life is exactly as you want it to be before you're grateful, I mean, you're gonna live a whole life and never be grateful. Another reason, a very similar, that contributes to ingratitude is affluence. Generally speaking, the more people have, the less grateful they are. You would think it would be the opposite. But the more we have, the higher our level of expectation the next time. You know, if you have Netflix and YouTube and Hulu and Prime Video and Apple TV, wouldn't it be hard to go back to just basic cable TV? If you have like the newest technology in the, the latest iPhone, it would be really hard to go back to a basic phone that simply makes phone calls. If you've driven a BMW, it would be really hard to be content driving a Kia. If you've stayed at the Ritz Carlton, it's really hard to go back to the Motel 6. If you root for the San Francisco Giants, it's really hard to go back to rooting for the A's. (laughs) In Proverbs 30, King Solomon, the wisest person to ever live, prayed this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? It's a rare person who, when their cup is overflowing, can give thanks frequently rather than complaining about the limited size of the mug. You know something else that contributes to ingratitude? Negative companions. A Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If your closest associates are grateful people, chances are you're going to be a positive, grateful person. But if your closest associates are negative and critical people, you're soon going to emulate them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, bad company corrupts good character. No matter how Uh, fulfilling your job, no matter how spacious your house, no matter how uh, personable your mate, no matter how edifying your church. If you run around with people who are always criticizing and finding fault, you're probably going to end up like them. I heard someone say, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But the one contributing factor that is far and above the most significant reason that we are not grateful is frequent comparison. We compare ourselves to other people. Jesus tells a parable about workers in the vineyard who agree to work all day long for a denarius. There were uh, they were very content until they learned that some guys who had worked just an hour got paid the same amount as they did. And all of a sudden, they began to complain about the inequity of it all. If you compare your circumstance with others who seem to have it better, you become a very thankless person. I mean, no matter how good your kids, there will always be someone else's kids who are smarter or more athletic or more well-behaved or whatever. No matter how good your church, there will always be some church that seems better. No matter how romantic your mate, there will always be someone else who looks good to you. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, when they measured themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. You know, ingratitude makes the heart grow smaller and harder and colder day after day. It's a miserable way to live. And if you're honest today, you might have to say, I really kind of live with ungratitude in my heart an ungrateful heart. I often see myself as a victim. There's a, a bitterness and entitlement about me. I'm constantly comparing myself to others. And the thing about gratitude is you can't force yourself to feel grateful. Gratitude involves a way of perceiving and understanding feelings in the heart and then expressing those feelings. So let's look at how can we become more grateful? How can we be like the one Samaritan who distanced himself from the ungrateful companions? Let's uh, think about this guy. The text says this, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus's feet and thanked him. I was thinking this week, maybe this guy started to run and marveled that his legs and arms did what he told them to do, just as they used to when he was a kid. Maybe he saw Jesus and maybe he stopped along the way by habit, but then he realized he didn't have to stop. And so he ran all the way to Jesus and fell on the ground and threw his arms out. I mean, think about that. The first contact he had with another human being was throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. He touched Jesus. And maybe this was the first touch this guy had from a non-leprous person in years, possibly since he was a kid. You know, there's something about touch, isn't there? Like touch is a powerful thing. When our kids were little at Disneyland, we would hang out around Toontown waiting for the Disney celebrities to come out. When Minnie Mouse came out, she got mobbed. And all the kids wanted the same thing from Minnie Mouse. They didn't want stuff from her. Uh, They didn't want her to say anything. Do you know what they all wanted her to do? Touch them. All the kids were just jumping up and down. They kept saying, touch me, touch me. They all wanted to be touched. We saw Goofy later and all the kids were jumping up and down saying, touch me, touch me. They just wanted to be touched. We saw Cinderella and all the little girls are jumping up and down. Touch me, touch me. Later, we saw Justin Timberlake. My wife was jumping up and down. (laughs) Okay, she wasn't, uh, because we didn't see Justin Timberlake. (laughs) Touch is one of the most powerful forms of expressing gratitude and praise to embrace someone or to place a hand on someone's shoulder. This guy was a man who hadn't been touched in years, but he was touched by Jesus. Luke said this guy was a Samaritan. I mean, this was an amazing thing. Samaritans were considered to be heretics and enemies of God by the Jewish people. The other nine lepers apparently were Jewish. This guy was a Samaritan and still he came back to Jesus who was Jewish. Maybe that's part of why he was so grateful. Maybe he figured he was the last guy as a leper and a Samaritan who ever would be touched by Jesus. Gratitude works that way, doesn't it? It's those who receive what is given to them in life as a gift who are grateful. As opposed to those who say, you know, I'm entitled to it. He ran back to Jesus, fell at his feet, touched him, and thanked him. While 10 were given this gift, only one lived with a grateful heart. Only one returned. And I just have to ask you today, how about you? Like, where is your heart on this business of gratitude? Well, in the moments that we have left, I wanna walk through five paths to a grateful heart. And if you're willing to follow these, I believe you really can cultivate a grateful heart. And the first path to a grateful heart is learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts. And this is so important. Have you ever received an imperfect gift? In this world, it's the only kind you'll ever receive. You know, your body is a gift. And we go through life thinking, if my body was different or perfect, or if I had someone else's body, well, then I would be grateful. This is a truth that we normally don't see. Your body may not be perfect, but it's a very good thing that you have one. And it's a lot better than not having one. Flawed as it may be, I must learn to be grateful for my body and my home and my friends and my work and my mind and my life. If I wait for perfect gifts, I will wait uh, until the end of my life. I will never be grateful at all. I must learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts because those are the only ones I'm going to receive in this world. This is the first way to cultivate a grateful heart. I must learn to be thankful for imperfect gifts. Here's the second way. And this one is a bit counterintuitive. Learn to be grateful in times of worry and frustration. There's a link between worry and gratitude. If I were to ask you on a scale of one to 10, how grateful you are and you were to answer anything but a nine or a 10, you would probably go on to explain that there are some circumstances in your life right now that are not exactly ideal you have family problems, you're worried about work, you have bills coming that you can't afford, and you'd say, you know, I would be more grateful, but these circumstances have taken away some of my joy. You know, we think gratitude is directly related to circumstances, and certainly circumstances do play a part, but 90% of whether we are contented people or not has to do with our attitude, much more than our circumstances. I want you to imagine something. Imagine this were to happen to you in the next 24 hours and how it would make you grateful in your present circumstances. I mean, it would be a brutal 24 hours though. So say your lawyer called you or a lawyer called you and told you you are being sued and you're in danger of losing every dime you have. And then your doctor called you and said, he looked at your latest X-ray And you actually have a terminal disease. And then a trusted friend called you and told you that two people who you love most in this life have just been killed. And after a 24-hour period of misery, you get a call from me saying, you know what? This is all a hoax. You still have your wealth. You still have your health. And you still have your closest loved ones. And after you take a deep breath and possibly punch me you probably would be extremely grateful in exactly the same circumstances that you are in right now. Because gratitude has so much to do with your attitude. Maybe that's why G.K. Chesterton said, gratitude is the mother of all virtues. You're filled with gratitude. But you wouldn't be if you hadn't experienced the worry from all the loss first. Nothing really has changed from how it was A few weeks ago, except that worry has taught you that what you once took for granted is a wonderful gift and you're flooded with gratitude that you have this gift. You know, too often we try to escape worry or deny it. Part of what keeps us from experiencing lasting gratitude is that we settle for in a little happiness fixes and little escapes We turn on the TV so that we don't have to think about what we're worried about, or we take a drink, or we overwork, or we buy something, or we pull off another deal. We do this instead of facing life straight on, including the suffering, including the painful aspects of life. Authentic gratitude comes in the midst of pain and suffering, or it doesn't come at all. You will learn gratitude in times of worry and frustration if you're open and honest during those times all right the third way of cultivating a grateful heart is express a grateful heart openly often and in all circumstances the apostle paul said in first thessalonians 5 give thanks in all circumstances for this is god's will for you in christ jesus give thanks in all circumstances I, i read somewhere that if you own just one bible you are absurdly blessed Because one-third of the world does not have access to even one. If you can read your Bible, you're more blessed than close to a billion people in this world who can't read. You know, if you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than one million people who will not survive this week. And if you have food in your refrigerator, clothing on your back, a car to drive, and a roof over your head, $100 in your bank account, You're richer than 90% of the people in this world. We need to be grateful for the little things that are easy to take for granted. And we cultivate hearts of gratitude when we express thanksgiving. We open ourselves to gratitude when we express it, even if we don't feel it yet. This is just something about the way God made us. When we begin to express gratitude, we very often start to feel it. Sincere words of gratitude have enormous power. Do you know how powerful your words of thanks are to the people in your world? Maybe you need to speak those words to someone in your life. Maybe a friend needs to hear them. Maybe your parents need to hear them. You know, your parents probably got a lot wrong. And maybe the relationship has enough pain attached to it that some of it needs to be resolved before there can be authentic gratitude expressed. But you know what maybe you have a mom and dad who got some stuff right and they just need to hear you say thanks something will happen inside of your heart when you say it maybe it's a coach or a neighbor who believed in you who breathed life into you who cheered you on and comforted you when you needed it write a note uh let them know make a phone call I open myself up to gratitude when I express it openly and often, even when I don't feel it. Another way we can increase gratitude is to learn to be grateful by avoiding grumbling and complaining. The writers of scripture make it very clear that God is displeased with grumbling and complaining. For example, the children of Israel come out of Egypt. God gave them freedom and wealth, a good leader, He parted the Red Sea. He gave them food and fresh water to drink. But from that point on, they did little but grumble and complain about poor leadership. And they were tired of the food. And they, you know, they wanted the food back in Egypt. The writer of scripture says that the Lord became exceedingly angry because of their grumbling. The apostle Paul said in first, first Corinthians 10, do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Paul said in Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing. How often do we violate that command? Some people are specialists at complaining. You know, some people complain so much that they think it's like their spiritual gift, but that gift is not in the Bible. I don't know how else to say it. Your constant complaining is an offense to God. It's a poor testimony to the people around you. And it's a detriment to your own uh, personality. You never hear someone say, hey, let's go over to Bill's house tonight. I just love to hear him gripe, don't you? I heard about a woman who did little but gripe and complain all the time, especially she criticized her husband. Uh, She was on his case all the time. But one day she became a Christian and she was baptized Uh, Afterwards though, she still griped and complained and criticized her husband. And later her husband said to a friend, I don't mind her getting born again, but why does she have to come back as herself? The apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And that includes our attitude. I challenge you today. To allow Jesus Christ to genuinely transform your spirit. You know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, say to a friend close to you, I think I complain too much. Would you help me out? You know, every time you hear me complain, would you nudge me or clear your throat or call me whiner Winer 49 or do something to remind me of what i'm doing all right the fifth path to a grateful heart is express a grateful heart by worshiping god you know this theme runs throughout the bible the psalmist put it like this in psalm 100 enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name You know, we gather together to learn, but we also gather together to have a time of worship where we say thanks to God. Part of the reason we gather in person is to do what the one leper did, which is recognize that everything we have is a gift. Like that leper, we run to God and we fall at his feet and we praise God in a loud voice. And we say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're a committed follower of Christ, I just wanna ask you, is that your heart? Have you made a commitment in your heart that you're going to worship God with thanksgiving? Will you just say this, I'm going to show up in person to worship God. I'm going to do that individually. I'm going to, I'm going to run to Jesus. I'm going to fall at his feet and I'm going to say, thank you. If you make a commitment that you're going to do this, you'll be able to say what I believe the, the one leper said you know, because because I've done this, I've come to know Jesus in a way that I would never have otherwise. There are times when I'm worshiping and the words just kind of wash over me and I'm just able to express gratitude to God and worship like I couldn't otherwise. Maybe for you, if you were honest about it, you would have to say, you know what, I'm with the nine lepers. What I've essentially been saying is, God, really, my life is okay. I have pretty much what I need. So I'm just going to go on ahead with my agenda. I'm not going to turn around. You know, if I get needy, I'll be in touch with you. I have other things to do with my time instead of falling at your feet in worship and gratitude. If you're a follower of Christ and you know God, I want to ask you to assess your heart on this. Ask yourself, am I the one who runs to God and says thank you because he has given me gift after gift after gift do I do this because I need to do it and because he deserves it or would you have to say I'm one of the nine who just keeps walking down the road and just takes it all for granted if you are then I want to ask you is there a commitment that you need to make about worshiping and thanking God and if there is I want to challenge you to do it today All right, let me pray for you God, I am so grateful for who you are in my life and who you are in the lives of those who are listening. Thank you that your spirit is in us and that you prompt us to, to live according to your ways and according to your truth. And we know that it's, it's not only the right way to live, but it's the best way to live. And God, you created us to be grateful to be thankful and to express that thanks to you and to others in our lives so god i pray that this week that we would just continue to learn and grow and that you would challenge us open our eyes to see our lives if we have in ungrateful hearts help us to see that help us to realize it and god help us to take these steps Toward living a more grateful life. And I pray that that would be infectious to the people around us, that we would be a brighter light in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods and communities. And that God, we would make it a priority to thank you for all of the imperfect gifts that we have in our lives. Help us to to approach you like the leper, the Samaritan leper, who came back and threw his life at your feet to worship you and praise you for all that you've done. Help us to live like that, God. And I ask it in Jesus name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And We hope to see you on Sunday soon.